Good morning, everyone. As you're uh, getting settled in this morning, we'd like to welcome you here in the church and also online to this first Sunday of the Lenten season. My name is Greg, and this is Joanna. Yeah, and we're just so glad that you're here this morning. And I know um, we thought there was going to be rain. And it is beautiful today, absolutely beautiful. Uh, so we're going to do things a little different, though. We are going to have coffee at the inside here. So when service is over, grab a cup of coffee and then go outside. Um, and if this is your first time visiting us, we are just so glad that you're here. And we just invite you to come to one of our connection counters. We have two inside, one on the patio. Grab a cup of coffee and come meet somebody out there. And it looks a little different today, Greg. There's something missing. How's that? What's missing? Well, there are no snacks today. Serious? Yeah. This I'm is serious. body by snacks. <laughs> there are no, there are no snacks. And the reason is, is we are for the Lent season, we are observing a church family fast. And Pastor David is going to be sharing more about that in his message. But it is from 7 p.m. till 11 a.m. every day. I was thinking it was 7 a.m. till 11 a.m. And I'm like, I'm all about that. But it is 7 p.m. till 11 a.m. And it is um, already just been such a sweet time for me um, starting Thursday morning, uh, observing it and just spending really sweet, sweet time with the Lord. And my stomach is growling. <laughs> well, if your stomach is also growling, I'm going to make it worse. As you stand up and greet someone next to you, uh, I apologize for how corny this is in advance, but talk about whether you like uh, uh, plain M&Ms or peanut M&Ms.
being with the people of God and the house of God and just looking over the congregation, knowing so many of your stories and singing about the faithfulness of God is so encouraging. And we're going to be singing the song because of Christ. And, you know, some of the lyrics talk about how we've, like, he's, he's washed us clean. His death has brought liberty. By his death, I'm alive. And the truth of it is, Sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes we feel dirty and unclean and bound by our sin. And maybe it's because 
we haven't accepted the forgiveness and the new life that Jesus wants to give us. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you haven't done that, make a decision to follow Jesus today. But also some of us who follow Jesus, we can, we, sometimes we don't feel what we sing about. And I think so often it's because we're not living into the identity of who God has made us to be. If you get married, but then you don't live as a married person, you're going to run into some trouble. And in the same way, we had baptisms and people were baptized into a new identity. They died with Christ and were raised into newness. But if we don't live into the identity of what is true about us, how do we expect to live in the fullness of what God has? So sometimes it's an identity problem, but sometimes it's a lordship problem. We say, yeah, Lord, I'll, I'll give you my mind. I'm not going to give you my heart. I'll give you this, but I'm going to hold on to that because I don't quite trust you yet. And so there's a lordship thing, and we talk about living fully alive, and if we want to live fully alive, then he's got to be fully Lord. You can't have it both ways. He's a jealous God, and that makes me very uncomfortable because there's things I don't want to give up. But in this Lenten season, David said that he's going to call us. We are going to call each other to give up maybe more than we are comfortable with and maybe more than we've ever given up before. And it's because we know that there is life on the other side of surrender. And so as we sing this song, I encourage you, begin the process of asking God, uprooting what is it I'm still holding on to that's preventing me from living fully alive. And let's begin giving those things up to Jesus and surrender. On a hill in Israel, a mercy spoke for me.
Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Come on my soul, oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your song storms, God. We give it all to you, God. Would you just kind of just drench us, God, in your hope and your joy, God, that we know you are for us, God. You see us. You love us, God. We love you and your precious holy name. Amen. And would you just have a seat? Let's give God more praise this morning. Oh, what a great way to start. And um, as we just continue with worship, I'd like to invite the ushers forward. And whew, that was so, so good. I know I'm going to be doing that all morning. Woo. Um, so we just, it is so important to us here. Our heartbeat is that you would all know that you belong and that you belong to God and he loves you. And we here at New Life want you to know that you belong here. You are family. And if you are new, if you have come back after a little while, if your toes are kind of in, but you don't know where you belong, we just want to invite you just to do the three things with us. One is if you would come three times, maybe three times in a row, come consistently and kind of see what that looks like. And the other one is meet someone. Whether that's coming to one of our pizza with the pastor that we have coming up in March or meet somebody in the parking lot. We have an amazing parking lot crew talking to somebody in the row with you. We just really invite you just to engage with somebody. And the third thing is, would you, when you're here, just seek, seek your heart and just pray, where do you see God moving here? And we would just love that for you. And uh, we are getting ready to start our Lent season, or we have started, because my stomach can tell you we have started fasting. And um, 
it is just going to be such a powerful time. And I grabbed one of these. These are our little lint booklets. And I just invite you to take one of these with you. And they are just full of ways to really engage with the Lord during this time. And one of the things I wanted to highlight is we have a prayer room during this season that I am so excited about. And it's right over here next to the usher room in the lobby. And um, the hours, we're going to open it all during the week from eight to six. And you're invited to come in, go into the prayer room. It's also open on Sundays before and after service. It is so so beautiful. And just go in and you can pray with somebody. You can share prayers. You can see there are walls covered with paper where you can share prayer requests. So we really invite you to do that. And the other thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be memorizing scripture. And I hope you received a little scripture card. You can get one on your way out as we are going to be memorizing scripture in Colossians. So I just invite you to take advantage of these things and as we get started this morning and every week during this sermon series, we are going to start with a prayer of confession. And if you would stand with me while I, while I read this prayer. Almighty and merciful God, during the sacred season of Lent, we humbly come before you as a community. We acknowledge the frailty of our human attitudes, the moments of, of anger, jealousy, and pride that distance us from your grace. Forgive us, O Lord, and grant us the strength to turn away from these destructive emotions. Help us cultivate hearts of compassion, humility, and love. May this Lenten journey be a time of transformation, drawing us closer to you and one another. In your mercy, we pray. And God's people say, amen. 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 Would you remain standing, actually, as we hear the word? Everybody's like, hey, hey, hey. That's okay. It's all right. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Verse five. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, this feels heavy, and yet if we have ears to hear, it is really good news that we don't have to be a slave to our flesh, God. That, God, we don't have to be a slave to our sinfulness, but, God, we have a new life that you have called us to live into. So, Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit on us this morning, that we would hear your voice, not mine, 
that we would sense your presence, not just the presence of friends and family right here, and that, God, we would be transformed because we have gathered together and sought you this morning. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Now you may have a seat. So... Two things. First of all, I got up here. Usually I keep my mic off when I'm singing, um, and I noticed it was on, which was not a good thing for these people up here because I sometimes they have me in their in-ears, and um, I don't hold back when I worship. So I apologize right away to our worship team who probably heard me, heard me singing out of tune and loud and voice cracking and all that. Um, but I really don't care because, uh, you know, it's a great time of worship this morning just to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I've been praying for this series for quite some time, and it's one of those series where I, I need you to know that I always want to preach from a place where God has moved in me first. I never want to preach or open the word of God when he hasn't done his work in me first. And probably more than any series in some time, the Lord has been shaping me and chiseling things away in me and reminding me of who I am in him. And, and it's one of those sermons where I just, my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would take what I feel like is sometimes just a Miranda, maybe a, a variety of different words and thoughts and phrases that he has placed within me and he would make them coherent in your heart and life. Because I think he wants to do something in us, church. I think he wants to move. I think he wants to shape us. I think he wants to, us to move and step into a new season with him. So let's start here. Have you ever seen those viral videos where it's a little kid and the parent comes on? They're called the candy challenge or the fruit snack challenge. And a parent comes in and they place some really good candy or fruit snacks in front of a three or four year old in a bowl and they tell them don't eat this until I get back and then they leave the room and for the next three minutes you watch this child wrestle with whether or not to eat it and some of them will literally like place their head on the table right next to it, just staring, but they had this kind of grit and willpower. And others, the moment that the parent walks out of the room, they don't even care. They just grab the candy and eat it. And I thought, man, what is that in my life? Like, we, we would like to say that adults are better, but for me, it is Trader Joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups. Can I get an Amen. And I love it. I literally, every single time I go to grab one of these, I, I, I always like turn it over and look at the back and it says serving size two. So I have to have two, right? Like, like you can't just have one. And, and so I got these last night knowing that we're in a season of fasting and I'm like sitting there going, man, I am really tempting myself. And, and, and I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, how difficult, what is your one thing. Maybe it's food. Well, let's start there. What is your thing that you can't just have one of? Like you open up the Oreos and you try to just have one, but you just can't have one. You open up that bag of M&Ms, you just can't have one. You have that one steak, you just want another one. It's okay. It's okay. It's like two steaks. I'm like, yeah, sometimes you just want a second steak, right? <laughs> and so 
There's this thing that is important for us to recognize is that we have these desires and it's so counterintuitive in our culture to restrain ourselves, to resist what we want, to somehow um, tame our desires in such a way that something that is right in front of us, we would actually say no to. In fact, within our culture, it is viewed as inauthentic to have a desire and not act on it. At the worst, it's in, I mean, I'm sorry, at the best, it's inauthentic. At the worst, I've actually heard people say, isn't that like personal abuse to yourself? Like, you should do what you feel is good and right. You should do what you desire. If you don't, you're denying yourself. And so it's odd. It's weird to say that we would fast It's weird to say that we would choose not to do something that we feel and or desire. And so we live in this world where it's just normal to do that. And what isn't normal is to give up those sinful desires. What isn't normal is to say, you know what, I'm going to refrain from or resist or I'm going to choose to step into a new way of thinking and acting and breathing and and understanding what this life is all about. And then for the Christian church, for, the, for those of us who are following Jesus, for those of us who are trying to discover how to follow Jesus, there seems to be at times, if we're being really honest, this undercurrent of frustration and exhaustion. And the frustration and exhaustion comes from verses like we read just a few moments ago because there seems at times that there is a disconnect between this new life and these new clothes and this new way of living and this new way of acting. And there seems to be this this disconnect from this understanding of what it looks like to live alive in Jesus and our experience at life. And the battle that we find ourselves in in order to understand our desires and resist sin and the temptation of the enemy. And there's a disconnect there. And for some of us, this is a battle that we have been in for years. In fact, you can probably point to an area of your life that just seems like it rears its ugly head again and again and again. And it's a battle that you find yourself in. And for some of us, again, it's a disconnect. For others, it's frustration. For others, it's exhaustion because we are battling in this every single day of our lives. And for some, it has even led them to deconstruct or leave the faith altogether. Because they hear these words of a transformed life, but they're not quite sure how to actually live into it. And so many times we as the church have failed to disciple and to teach and to help bring understanding to what it looks like and how we actually live out this new life. Like when you hear the phrase that we read earlier in the passage that, that we should put to death the sinful desires that we have, you're like, yes, that's what I want to do. I just don't know how to do it. And the New Testament writers articulated this tension, the exhaustion of the battle, the frustration that we sometimes feel. And they talked about it in light of this idea, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. 
Now, when you look at this passage from Colossians chapter three, verses one through nine, you see a list of sins. I know what some of you are thinking. Like you, read, you heard me read that particular set of sins and you're like, whew, good, mine wasn't there, right? <laughs> like, like, let me caution us. This was not an exhaustive list, all right? The point of what, the point of what Paul is doing there, here is making sure that you understand that it's far-reaching. And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal to us where our flesh is getting the best of us. So how do we understand this idea of the flesh? How do we understand this idea of sinful desires that we battle with every single day? I think we begin here and understand that we have desires that God has given us, but we have, because of sin, disordered those desires. We have desires, and those desires actually aren't all bad, but we disorder those desires. We don't know how to deal with those desires in healthy ways. We have desires that are a part of who we are, but we have no framework to engage those desires in healthy ways. Let me say that again. We have desires that are a part of who we are, but we have no framework or order for how to engage those desires in healthy ways. So let me give you some examples based from Colossians chapter three, verses one through nine. Sexual desire without order leads to immorality, impurity, and lust. If you have no order, if you have no framework for sexual desire, it leads to immorality, impurity, and lust. Creativity and power without order becomes greed. You were actually created to have dominion over this world. God gave that to you. He gave you the ability to have creativity. He gave you the ability to have authority, and yet we corrupt that authority and we corrupt that power when we disorder the desire. Anger without order becomes malice, rage, and slander. And worship without order becomes idolatry. The second thing you need to know about the flesh is that it craves pleasure in its sinful brokenness. In a Genesis chapter three framework, we crave pleasure and we want to do what feels good now. In fact, you could go back to the story of the garden where Adam and Eve uh, take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what they wanted what they did in their sin was take what they wanted now rather than what was best for them. God had created them for relationship with him and relationship for one another. He had given them dominion and stewardship. He had, he had given them the ability to have creativity and to flourish within this created world that he had. And yet what they wanted was what was right in front of them rather than what was best for them. Our flesh craves pleasure. And as long as we run our lives on pleasure, we will always look for the quickest fix. We will never live the life that God has intended us to experience. We will never live fully alive in Jesus when we're constantly looking for the next pleasure fix. In fact, when we worship and give our lives to the flesh, it creates physical, relational, emotional, 
and spiritual damage. Do me a favor, just in your mind, you can, if you're taking notes, maybe write down just one word or a year or a moment in your life. Can you go back to a time in your life when you worshiped your flesh or whatever you wanted now instead of what was best? And can you point to a time where you did that and that your flesh created physical, emotional, relational, or mental damage in your life? When it becomes the focus, all of a sudden, it creates damage. Because no longer are you living by the Spirit or in the way of the Spirit, but you are living in the ways of the flesh. Not only that, but your life begins to be run by your flesh. It begins to dictate what you do and what you don't do. It begins to dictate your spiritual growth. It begins to dictate your relationships and how healthy or unhealthy that they are. It begins to dictate every area of your life. And some people, when they look at this, they say, hold on a second. The greatest amount of freedom that I can have is to simply do whatever I want. But that's actually a false framework. Because when you're constantly chasing your flesh or the next fix, you're constantly running after something to satisfy that craving. And so you are not living free, you are living as a slave. And the only way to have authority over the flesh is not just simply by grit or willpower, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, can I frame it for you this way? In our culture, and can I be really honest, even within the church and even with sometimes our lives as we're trying to figure out how to follow after Jesus, that we become really good, we train our flesh and we try Jesus. I mean, think about how you train your flesh every day. You find yourselves looking at things and you find yourselves addicted to our phones and we find ourselves uh, training our flesh in whatever we want in that immediate moment. We do that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Then we gather in places like this and say, all right, Jesus, come try to fix this. We train our flesh in the ways of this world and we simply try Jesus and say, Jesus, can you make this a little bit better? We train our flesh in our relationships and then we try to insert some Jesus into it. We train our flesh when it comes to what we view. And then we try some Jesus by reading some scripture. We train our flesh And we try Jesus. And without a framework that is given to us by the Spirit and without order within how to train our flesh well, what we do is we default to whatever the lowest common denominator is, whatever is going to give us the quickest 
fix on pleasure. In fact, there's a whole neuroscience that goes behind this, not only how this works spiritually, but how it works physically and how there's uh, actually chemicals like dopamine that are released from your brain in order to give you that sense of pleasure. But I want to give you, I think the most important thing is to understand how this actually works out practically. So let me give you some examples. You are valued because you were created in the image of God. But in order to understand that value, it requires us to be with Jesus, to sit in his presence, to understand, to to read his word, to understand what that is. But can I be honest with you? It is so much easier to get that really quick fix of value with likes and watches. It's so much easier just to be like, hey, can I post something and I can gain value if you just, if the person just likes it, if I have more likes, if I have more friends, if I have more this, if I have more that. It's so much easier to get that value from simply words of affirmation from other people. And so what we do is rather than doing at times in training our spirit and training our flesh by spending time in the presence of God, we default to where we're going to scratch that itch the quickest. How about intimacy for a moment? Do you know that there is a level of intimacy that happens when you binge watch a show on Netflix with somebody you care about? But it's the lowest form of intimacy. And so when you're sitting there and you're binge watching a show, there's entertainment that is going on. Can I tell you I'm preaching to myself as well right now? (laughs) Some of you, some of you are, but it, so there's enjoyment that goes on. And so you have these feelings of pleasure and satisfaction because you're watching a show and it's entertaining and it's good. And then we partner that with time with our spouse or our friends or somebody that we care about. And we're in this room and we sit close to them and you may even hold their hand. And yet what we begin to do is we begin to identify that pleasure with the with the binge watching of the show and a low level of intimacy. And God is saying, you know what I have for you? I have conversation. I have being known and knowing somebody. I have something so much greater for you than simply binge watching Netflix and holding somebody's hand. And yet we default to the easiest form of pleasure seeking without a framework. Anger. I'll tell you what, I used, to, I used to swear like a sailor, 100%. Like, I'm just telling you, like, growing up in high school, even into college, if I could string a sentence together with less than three F-bombs, it was like a, a feat. Like, I, it was that bad, all right? And there are still times where I have tamed the tongue, but the mind still is like, I'm just being real with you, just being real with you. And the lowest form of satisfying pleasure and anger, like when you're ticked off at somebody, the lowest form, when you have a grudge against somebody, the lowest form of of pleasure seeking, the lowest form of control is simply to let those words fly. And yet God has given us lament as a way of dealing in healthy ways with anger. Malicious thoughts, anger, an untamed tongue, rather than lament before a God who knows us and understands our frustration. 
community. One of the lowest forms of community is gossip. And so we'll be really good to get together with some people and we just gossip and we just gossip and we just gossip and we just gossip rather than experiencing the richness of friendship and community with one another. And church, there's more low-hanging fruit accessible to us in this day and age than ever before. It is easier to access things that short-circuit the deeper intimacy that God wants us to experience, the deeper community that God wants us to experience, the deeper relationship that God wants us to experience. Now, here's what some people may, might be thinking. Pastor, isn't this just the battle that we read about with, from Paul where he talks about, hey, I don't do what I want to do, but what I want to do, I don't do. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. In Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 24, we have a portion of this passage, and it says this, I have discovered the principle of life that when I want what I want to do, um, Sorry, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Stop there. I think that there's probably 85 to 90% of those who say that they're following Jesus that live their life right there. I want to do this, but I don't do it. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I don't know how to gain control over the sin in my life. And what I want you to hear this morning is that we see in this passage is a, we see this as a description of living so often rather than a description of the battle that we're in. Let me say that again, because I want you to hear it. So often we see this description as a way of living rather than the battle that we find ourselves in. And the reason that's important is because there is an answer. It ends like this, right? Um, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And some of us are sitting here this morning saying, that's what I want. I want to be freed by a life that is dominated by sin and death because it's ruining my relationships and it's ruining my career and it's ruining my life and it's ruining my spiritual health and it's ruining my relational health and it's ruining my mental health and it's ruining my physical health. And you can list all of those things. Verse 25 says this, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? It goes on to say, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Again, we stop there. Like, yes, Jesus is the answer, but I'm still gonna be a slave to sin. Not so fast. Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. There is good news. But so many of us have lived our lives trying to figure out how do I actually live into that? How do I do it? It's what I want. I just don't know how to live into it. So let's talk about a couple of things. 
First one is this, starve the flesh. Starve the flesh. In order to starve the flesh, this is participatory and intentional. So many times when we think about our understanding of how to live into the realities that Jesus has called us into, into our identity, we understand that there is the power of the Holy Spirit, and I am not diminishing that at all, but we don't take the personal responsibility of ourselves to participate in that transformation. And in, in, in intentional ways, Partner with what the Spirit is doing internally. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, it says, Set your sights on the realities of heaven. God is not going to force you to set your sights on the realities of heaven. That is something that you're going to have to train yourself to do. Because the reality is, is that for most of us, probably 200 plus times a day, our sights are set on this. And so if you are going to shift and train yourself to stop doing this and stop looking at that and stop lusting and stop moving your eyes towards the things of this world, you're going to have to train yourself to set your sights on the realities of heaven. It is not going to come natural at first, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and your participation with the Spirit, your life can actually be transformed. This is not just a cognitive practice. Sometimes just us decide like, hey, I'm just gonna decide to do this and this is gonna be easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27 reminds us the apostle Paul speaking to the church, speaking to you, speaking to me. I must discipline my body like an athlete. I must discipline my body like an athlete. And so one of the things that we see happening down throughout the history of the church is the people of God participating in a spiritual practice, their participation, but in a practice where the Holy Spirit seems to do his good work, where the Holy Spirit moves in our lives and that practice is fasting. Those who hunger for holiness fast. Let me say that again. Those who hunger for holiness fast. So let me address some challenges. It's weird. And if this is your first Sunday or maybe you've been going here for a while, when I say that we're going to fast as a congregation, you're thinking, what cult did I just join? (laughs) We're not a cult. We step into a tradition of spiritual practices that, say, that says we participate in the transformation that the Spirit of God wants to do in our life and we position ourselves. It's no different than when we raise our hands, we position ourselves in a posture of surrender. That There's nothing magical about raising our hands, but there is a posture that we put ourselves in so that we can hear the Spirit with greater clarity. And so fasting and the practice of fasting is a way of hearing God with greater clarity. It is not a diet. It is not a diet. It is not a diet. I'm saying that multiple times, right? See, here's the deal. In our culture, and I love, like, one of my favorite, you know, non-Christian books is the book Atomic Habits. I think it's a great book. Um, I I love understanding how uh, our body thinks, or our our culture thinks about food, but our culture thinks about fasting in this way. Our culture fasts for the physical. 
The people of, and then, and, then they, and then if there's any benefit after that, they're like, oh, sweet. The church fasts for the spiritual. If there are physical benefits, awesome. But we fast for the spiritual primarily because we want to lean into our relationship with God. Fasting is not abstinence. Abstinence isn't bad. Some of you have chosen for the season of Lent to give up gaming or to give up uh, getting on social media or giving up these other things. Abstinence is not bad. Abstinence is a good thing. And I encourage you to say, God, search my heart. Is there anything that I should abstain from? But abstinence is not fasting. Fasting is specific to food. And what's so critical to understand here is, and again, I don't wanna take this too far, but it is interesting. The sin in the garden is that they didn't trust God with good and evil evil, but what they desired was the fruit. And so there seems to be this connection between understanding how we control our desire for food and how that begins to make its way and weave its way into that, that, that control and authority that we have over food all of a sudden makes its way into other areas of our lives. It is also one of the most neglected practices in the Christian church t- today. But it wasn't always like that. Jesus in Matthew chapter six, he doesn't mention many spiritual practices, but he mentions fasting. And he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. When you fast. In the early church, they fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. Every single week. And so we as a church, as you have heard or maybe have kind of heard through the rumor mill or the grapevine, we as a church are inviting you, and I say it that way, we are inviting you, not obligating you. We are inviting you to come alongside and do a corporate fast from 7 p.m. at night to 11 a.m. in the morning. Why do we choose that specific time? Well, here's why. Because for many of us, maybe this is just my own personality, so yes, I'm the one that was trying to think through what time period, but I can go through a whole day when I'm working and not eat, but also not spend any time with Jesus. And so, 7 p.m. at night to the time I go to bed are my tendencies is to have habits that train my flesh. I watch Netflix, I do this, I do the things that I want to do. So what would it look like to, instead of engaging my flesh during that time, what would it look like to carve out time in that span in order to encounter Jesus? And for many of us, when we wake up in the morning, we tend to engage our flesh right away. How many of us, and you don't have to raise your hands, I'm not calling you out today, although I hope we feel deep conviction because I think it's a high percentage. How many of us, the very first thing you do in the morning is you reach for your phone? Amen. Just let that set for a second. We need to train our flesh and to submission discipline it in order to hear the voice of the Spirit in greater ways. John Wesley spoke about fasting this way. Super, super strict, if I can just say it that way. The man who never fasts is no more in the way of heaven than the man who never prays. I I read this back in September and I've been wrestling with it ever since. 
And yet in a world, in a culture specifically in America, that thrives in overconsumption, that thrives in do whatever pleasures you, the forgotten practice of fasting may be the gift that the church needs in this generation. So why do we fast? Well, to starve the flesh and to feed the spirit. You go without food in order to give yourself more fully to God. That doesn't mean you don't give yourself to God on other times, it just means that you give yourself more fully to God in these moments of fasting. In our culture, if you came to me and if you came to somebody who's a friend of yours or if you're new to Jesus and you come to somebody and you ask them, how do I deepen my relationship with Jesus? How do I, how do I go deeper in my relationship with Jesus? Most people, if not all people, would give you either a scripture verse to read, a book to read, a podcast to listen to, right? But in the early church, they understood that you don't deepen your relationship just simply through the intellectual, although that's appropriate at times, but there's this connection with your stomach and deepening your relationship with God. So in the early church, if you would have come to them and said, how do I deepen my relationship with God? How do I follow Jesus with greater fervor and excitement? They would say fast. Because there's this connection between taming our desires and understanding how to peel away the sinful desires that we have and how we understand our appetite. The less limits we have on our appetite, the less authority we have over our flesh. So the less limits you have over your appetite, the more that your other sinful desires run rampant. But when we fast and when we train our flesh to follow the spirit, all of a sudden the flesh doesn't become an enemy to the spirit, but it can come in alignment with the spirit. And it begins to do the things that we want most rather than the things that we want now. The second thing is it amplifies our prayer. It amplifies praying. Not just intercession. Here's what I want you to be careful of. I'm not fasting just so I can get a miracle. Now you can intercede for people when you fast. That's totally appropriate. But I want us to recognize that amplifying our prayer is not simply just intercession. It's being with Jesus. It's hearing God's voice. It's hearing his direction and its heartbeat. And you don't have to go too far in the gospels to see this happening. Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11, Jesus is driven by the spirit, not by himself, but by the spirit into the wilderness. And what does he do? He fasts. For 40 days, he fasts. And then at the end of the 40 days, when he has fasted, when you would assume that he is the weakest that he would be, the enemy comes along and tempts Jesus. And here's what we learn about this season of fasting in Jesus. Rather than having less clarity, he has more clarity. He has clarity about his identity and who he is. 
He has clarity about his mission and what he is called to do. And he has clarity about who his heavenly father is. And he is able to deny his sinful, like the, 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 the enemy temptation to sin. He's able to deny the enemy's temptation to sin and he is able to lean in towards his calling and who he is and who his heavenly father has called him to be. He teaches us how to do that. He was hungry. He had desire. And yet he had clarity about who he was, his identity, what he should do, and who his father was. Third, it helps us to love others more deeply. It helps us to love others more deeply. You're like, well, how does that work? Well, one When you fast, you have greater empathy and solidarity with the poor who God called us to care for. And so your eyes become more aware of those who go without. But the second thing that I think is important is it gives us greater understanding and solidarity with people who are in a thick battle against their flesh. Do you know somebody, or maybe it's you this morning, that every day from the time they get up in the morning to the time that they go to bed, they're battling against addiction. They're battling against their flesh. And when we step into that, it makes us more aware of the deep battles that people are still going through. And we begin to intercede and we begin to see them differently. We begin to come alongside them in different ways. And we have greater empathy, with, which moves us to love them in greater ways. So we starve the flesh. But if it stopped there, we'd be missing out on something. So we starve the flesh in order to feed the spirit. The passage says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Feed the spirit. Church, every single week on Thursdays, we pray for people who will be here on Sunday to come to know Jesus Christ as their savior, that they would surrender their lives to Jesus, that they would receive the gift of forgiveness. And please do not hear me diminishing the gift of forgiveness. But the gift of forgiveness is a beginning point in your relationship with God. And church, can I tell you that we have created at times, both in this local church and the capital C church as a whole, we have created a culture where we live out our relationship with God simply in what he has forgiven us from rather than in the lordship that he has called us to. So we live out our lives going, God, thank you for forgiving me for what I have done or, or, or God, for what I did even today. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And we miss out on stepping in and having Jesus not just be the one that forgave us from what we have done or what we have done today, but, what, but being the Lord over all of our lives. 
There's this idea of lordship that I think has just kind of moved by the, by the side in our understanding and we're just so fixated on God. What is God gonna forgive me from? What, 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 is, what did God forgive me from? And that is, those aren't bad things. Don't hear me saying that. But I think we limit ourselves when we get so fixated and focused on God forgiving us from stuff that we miss out on his calling to make him Lord of our lives. I don't want God just to forgive me from my sin that I've done or the sin that I might have happened today. I want to hunger for holiness and live fully alive in him because he is Lord over my life. And when I read this passage, I go, God, there is a hope that I don't have to constantly just give in to sin again and again and again, and I don't have to train my lust, and I don't have to train my greed, and I don't have to train my anger, and I don't have to train these things in my life that I could actually live in victory over them. Now, does that mean you're gonna be perfect? No. No, you're not gonna be perfect. But what if you began to live in and walk in step with the spirit in greater ways? What if you began to feed the spirit in such a way that your first reaction was not malicious thought, but your first reaction was how to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you? And rather than just trying to do it with pure grit and willpower, what if you aligned your participation with the power of the Holy Spirit and you actually walked in some victory rather than slavery? And then finally this, we look at a sinful and broken world and we say, can this culture change or how can this culture change or what will happen, what, what could happen if this culture changed? What would happen if they let us do this? What would happen if they let us do that? What would happen? God, would you bring revival? Can I tell you something, church? A greater movement of God or revival or however you want to frame that will never happen unless the people of God are the first ones to surrender. Are the first ones to consecrate themselves. Are the first ones to allow God to move in our lives. The first ones that God searches our hearts first. See, it's really easy in this current culture to be like, well, we're so much better than everybody that's out there. So God, if you would just clean up out there, things would be better. That's not how God works. He calls his people first to surrender. He calls his people first to repentance. He calls his people first to holiness. He didn't say, hey, you know what, all you other nations in the Old Testament, he didn't say, all you other nations, get your act together. No, he called Israel to be his chosen people. He said, live your lives where you are, where I am your God and you are my holy people and begin living out that relationship before the nations. And eventually, when the time was right, he sent Jesus into this world to gather all nations to experience the holiness, the fullness of life that he has to offer. I'll talk more about this next week, but there's this revival that went on in Scotland on the Hebrides Isle. So many details that I'm gonna leave out for right now that we'll get into future weeks, but 
But these group of people were praying again and again and again and again for their community where alcoholism was running rampant and poverty was, was happening and all kinds of things, abuse and, and just gnarly sinful things were happening. And they were praying for their community and praying for their community and praying for their community. And all of a sudden, a deacon in the church stood up and he said, because God had placed Psalm 24 on his heart to read before the people. And here's what Psalm 24, starting at verse three says. Who may, ascend, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Who, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who will be a part of a movement of God? Who will see God's kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven? Those with clean hands and pure hearts. You're like, that sounds so legalistic. No. No. God has invited us into this deep and rich and life-giving relationship with him. He has invited us to surrender, invited us to leave behind our sinful desires, invited us to leave behind our broken lives, invited us to leave behind that which enslaves us and to step into a new life in him. And he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not just about grit. It's not just about doing everything right and dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's. He has already given us as his free gift salvation. So we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about, yes, you receive the forgiveness of Christ, amen. But there comes a point in the Christian's life where they start asking themselves, I've been forgiven, but I'm not living fully alive. I've been forgiven, but I keep circling back to the same sin again and again and again and again and again. Is there an answer to that? Yes, his name is Jesus. Is there an answer to that? Yes, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Is there an answer to that? Yes, it's the training of the flesh. Is there an answer to that? Yes. Set me apart, O oh God, as your holy people. As your holy people. So we're gonna do something really weird and awkward. If fasting wasn't awkward already enough, I'm gonna invite you to stand at this time. If, if this type of message resonates with you and you're like, yes, this is, this is what I've been living into, you know this, awesome. I just pray that you would stay in your seat at this time and you would just stay right where you're at and you don't have to come down here at all. And You would just simply receive and just be affirmed, man, the Holy Spirit's been working in my life. But if you are somebody who today says, man, that's what I've been longing for. The power of the Holy Spirit 
the alignment with, of my life and my heart with the power of God. I've been longing to experience that. What I'm not going to promise you is an emotional moment and a powerful moment where you're gonna be zapped and boom, you're never going to deal with that struggle again. What I am gonna share with you is that every time that we say yes to God, we align ourselves with the power of his spirit and we can begin understanding how to walk in victory and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and he will begin to chisel away the things that happen in your life or that you are um, addicted to and he will begin to chisel away the anger and he will begin to chisel away the bitterness and he will begin to chisel that away and you will begin to align your heart with the heart of God. And so we're not gonna have any music. We're not gonna have, I don't even know quite how to do this because I'm so used to having music behind me right now. <laughs> but I don't want you, I want you to just to hear the voice of God. The voice of God. And I think I'm just gonna do it old school. This is, this is not prepared. Like this is like, I, I've thought about this all week and I didn't have a good way of doing this. So I'm just gonna, in a moment, I'm just gonna say, Three, two, one, just so you have a moment that you know you can step out of your aisle now and come down here. And I just wanna pray for you. If you are somebody who is saying, you know what, I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I am loved. I know that God has forgiven me, but I wanna begin to walk in the power of the spirit. I wanna begin to lay aside my sinful desires that I keep circling back to. I wanna begin to discover how to walk in victory in greater ways. There's a fancy word for this. We call it sanctification, that we would be set apart, that we would be God's holy people, that we would have clean hands and pure hearts. And I can't tell you, God forgave you and that's awesome, but can I tell you something? God's sanctifying will impact your relationships. God's sanctifying you will impact your marriage. God's sanctifying you will impact every area of your life. So I invite you to come forward in three, two, one. And if nobody comes, that's okay. But if you wanna come forward right now, come forward. Come forward. God, we come to you today in a heart of surrender. We come to you today with our hands open saying, God, I, I release to you, God, I, I let go of the things that have been holding me back, God. I let go of the things in my life that, that somehow have been keeping me in the constant struggle and the constant battle of sin in my life. And I receive, God, I receive the power of the Holy Spirit, God, in a way that, that God, I pray, would come upon those who are responding at the altar, those who are responding in their seat, God. I pray that your spirit would come upon us, that we would be a people with clean hands and pure hearts, not so we can walk around this world and say, look how holy we are, but God, that we might represent you in this world. 
That our hearts would look like yours. That our words would look like yours. That God, when people see the church, they would get a picture of you. God, we want to surrender. Would you just go through the rooms of our lives in the coming days? God, I pray for that person that's gathered down here right now, God, they have that area of sin in their life. They've got that area that immediately when we begin to lean into this, immediately when we begin to preach into this, you begin to point out that particular area, God. Would you let them know that that area does not have to dominate them? That God, you can, that you can begin to give them the ability to walk in victory in that particular area. God, would you teach us in the coming days how to train our flesh into submission to you? Would you teach us, God, how to be more fully surrendered to you? Would you teach us how to align our lives and our hearts with the movement of your spirit? Would you speak to us in the quiet times, in the evening and in the mornings, God, when we are starving the flesh, God, would you teach us how to feed the spirit? And God, I'm praying for the testimonies of your grace, of your mercy, of your forgiveness, of your power that may come out of this season where we are going to seek you as one body because you are one Lord and we have one baptism and you have all authority over everything in heaven and in earth. And so we invite you to have authority over our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Can we give God some glory this morning? Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just stay right where you're at. If you came forward, just stay right where you're at. Folks, this is a beginning. It's a beginning. But I invite you into this journey. I invite you to sharpen each other. I invite you to seek the Lord. When we seek him, the word promises, we will find him. So as you go, go as the people of God who hunger for holiness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.